Well, good morning, Elevation. It's good to be with you in this online space. And I am sitting out here quite obviously in the great outdoors. Hopefully you are enjoying some of this great weather we've been having lately as well. Last Sunday morning, we gathered in a slightly different format. We were on Zoom, which gave us a chance to interact a little bit and to see each other's faces. One of the things that I loved about our Zoom service last week was Melody's memory verse game. This is something that Larissa Conley has done in our pre-service for kids from time to time. Um, so Melody did this game, and basically for those of you who missed it, she had this big sheet of Bristol board, and she had the, the Bible memory verse up on there, but there were a lot of blank spaces. And then she would pull up one word at a time in order to see if people could figure out where the words belong in the memory verse. It was a great way to learn. So I thought that I would try that as well this morning. I mean, why shouldn't I be able to get in on the fun? Now, problem is I don't actually have any Bristol board around the house, so we're going to do like a digital version of it. I'll have some digital Bristol board up in the corner. And what you're going to see is a memory verse, not from this week, but from last week. And uh, so here's what we'll do. You can take a look at it now and you'll see some blanks there. Now, the first word that I'm going to hold up for you and you're going to have to find out where it belongs is the word meaningless. So take a look at those blanks, take a look at the verse and see if you can remember where the word meaningless goes. Do you have a guess? All right, well, let's put up the answer. That's right, everywhere. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. This is how the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes begins. Now, during this series that we're in here at Elevation, the teacher of Ecclesiastes will be helping us explore some of the ways that we try to make sense of a life that can sometimes feel meaningless. We're gonna explore some of the barriers that we run into, and how Jesus continues to speak to humanity's search for meaning in 2021. Now, last week, the teacher attempted to find meaning through work. And this week, it's as if he said, well, if there's no meaning to be found in the work that I do, maybe I should just seek pleasure instead and see if that does the trick. The other day, Melissa brought me your phone and she said, you've got to watch this commercial. Now, sometimes when people show you a video on their phone or the tablet or whatever, you, they think it's really funny or they think it's pr pretty profound and you don't always feel the same way. I was a little skeptical because everyone in our family had already seen this video and everyone was laughing. Um, but I watched it and this music by Celine Dion starts building. And it, if, you, if you've seen the commercial, you know what we're talking about. It's for an a, a extra gum commercial. But at the beginning of the commercial, there's this guy in bed and basically he wakes up to the sound of his radio and someone on the radio, a voice says, we can see people again. And then from household to household around the city, it's people getting out of bed and realizing we're not in lockdown anymore. We can actually get out into the world. And so people are like getting dressed. People are like running out into the streets. People are kissing random strangers in the park. People are breaking into their office place so they can actually work from their office again. And then there's this guy, I'll throw, throw the picture up here for you. At the beginning of the commercial, he had this giant big pandemic beard. Some people are growing them and he had shaved it off and was just celebrating the joy um, of being free once again. When it comes to finding meaning in life, we're constantly being promised that just a little extra this or just a little extra that will do the trick. If we could only X or Y, then everything will make sense and life will have meaning again. Just a little more free time, just a few more friends, just a little higher salary, just a slightly newer phone, just a little more freedom, flexibility, fun, whatever it is. But when the teacher in Ecclesiastes spared no expense and denied himself nothing a man could desire, what was the result? Well, let's start at the beginning, chapter two and verse one. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure and find out what is good. 
Now there's gotta be a little part of you that wants to take a stab at this, right? To test yourself with pleasure and see what is good in life. I mean, forget for a moment that the teacher concluded that all of it was meaningless. So you might decide to drive your dream car off the lot, or maybe you would escape to an all-inclusive resort for the week, or maybe you'd stay there for the whole month. Maybe you'd eat at an insanely expensive restaurant. Maybe put a pool in the backyard. Maybe you'd buy yourself a boat and then buy yourself a cottage to go with a boat. I don't know. Or, but you know what? It doesn't even have to be anything so extreme. Your imagination could go to simpler things. You don't have to go that far. Maybe it would just be taking an afternoon off to go to a spa. I mean, that's pretty much like going to an all-inclusive resort these days, wouldn't it be? Uh, maybe it would be carving out some alone time to read a really good book. Maybe it would be treating yourself to a sticky bun at a certain local cafe. Now, there's not a doubt in the world that these things or whatever else would be on your list would bring pleasure. That's the whole point. So here's what the teacher says. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. So the teacher goes out, he embraces laughter and wine and folly. Now he does make a little bit of a disclaimer. He says, my mind's still guiding me with wisdom. He doesn't want his readers to get the impression that he had just thrown caution to the wind. But the teacher builds houses, plants vineyards, creates gardens and parks and builds, reservoir, builds re reservoirs to water all of them. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired, he writes. I refused my heart no pleasure. This is a way of thinking, a philosophy, an approach to life that is called hedonism. Basically, the pursuit of pleasure as the ultimate goal in life. Whatever you do, avoid pain and seek after pleasure. People have tried this approach to life for as long as we have records. The Epic of Gilgamesh, an ancient document dating from around 2000 BC, in that document we read, fill your belly, day and night make merry, let days be full of joy, dance and make music day and night. These things alone are the concern of men. In Ecclesiastes 1.9, the teacher observed, what has been will be again, what has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. And so whether it's an ancient Sumerian poet, a biblical wisdom teacher, or a modern day advertising executive, the message is the same, pleasure is the key to your happiness. And at least initially, the teacher's experiment worked. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Now, last week, I spent several, several hours on my hands and knees pulling something like 700 dandelions out of the lawn behind me. It was absolutely filled with them. But at the end of it, it was, I had asked you to mow the lawn, and so all the weeds were gone, lawn was freshly mowed. I looked out of the window into the backyard and I was like, this backyard looks great. But as with all delight, I knew that it was only a matter of time before the high would fade, before those dandelions that I missed would start to find their way back up again. And this is the thing about pleasure. By definition, it's fleeting. Last week, Melissa came home with some treats from McDonald's. She got some hot fudge sundaes and those hot apple pies. And I got one of the hot apple pies and I looked at the box and it says, enjoy by 8.21 p.m. I was like, wait a second, like this is such a small window to enjoy this. That's what pleasure's like. Now the teacher doesn't suggest that pleasure isn't satisfying. No one would buy that logic. Of course it is. What he suggests is that ultimately pleasure doesn't satisfy. In verse 11, yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. 
Now, it seems ludicrous. How could he have everything that he ever wanted and come to the conclusion that nothing was gained? Well, he gives us a couple of clues as to why. In chapter 5, verse 10, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. Now, every one of us knows what it's like to long for something, to long for a relationship, a purchase, a job, an experience, only to discover that as soon as we have it, we start longing for something more. So what we have increases, to be sure, but the gap between what we have and what we long for, well, that remains. It just stretches further out. In chapter 4, verse 6, the teacher writes, Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Now, this is such an interesting observation, isn't it? Made on the other side of the teacher's pursuit of pleasure, that the key to a meaningful life might actually lie in having less of what we long for. Now, there's another element of our pursuit of pleasure that we need to acknowledge, something that was intentionally excluded from our reading this morning, but that deserves to be named for what it is. When I was preparing for this series and I outlined this passage, there were a couple of troubling lines. And so I actually raised this with our pastoral team earlier this week. And I said, what do you think we should do with this? And so we thought the best idea was actually to exclude the lines from the reading, but then talk about it in the course of this sermon. So that's what I want to do. You see, while the teacher refused to deny himself anything his eyes desired, in some cases, he did so by denying others even the most basic human rights. So here are two of the verses that were excluded from the reading this morning. From verse 7, I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. And from verse 8, I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. Now, the teacher's possessive language is concerning. Bought, owned, amassed, acquired. But the wisdom of his pursuit really hits a wall when he writes about hu acquiring human beings the same way he writes about acquiring houses and vineyards and flocks. These aren't easy words for us to read, and I wish they weren't in our Bible at all. But there they are. And if we have any hope of experiencing the meaningful life that the teacher was after, well, we better take them to heart. You see, a view where the, of the world where some people have more value than others and where people become a means to our end, well, that has nothing to do with God as revealed to us in Jesus, who taught anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all, and who put forward the challenge, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Thankfully, none of us are engaged in slave trading or building ourselves harems, but there's still a warning in this passage if we pay attention. The pursuit of our own satisfaction at the expense of others will always fail to truly satisfy because we are working against the grain of how we were created to live. So here's a question. It'll be rhetorical for now, but we'll actually dive into it in our post-service discussion groups with our neighbors. How might our pursuit of pleasure be impeding the ability of our neighbors to experience pleasure themselves? And what can we do? What can we do to change this? Now, I want to read a passage that comes from Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 to 40. The context of this is that someone had come up to Jesus and basically said, what is the thing that I need to do in order to have eternal life? What is the one thing that I need to do? And Jesus responds this way, starting at verse 37. Love the Lord your God 
with all your heart and mind and with all your soul. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love the na your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. The interesting thing about this is that this would have applied to the teacher in Ecclesiastes as well. He would have known that loving the Lord your God and loving your neighbor, that these are the greatest commandments. And yet he set at least one of these aside in his pursuit of pleasure and a meaningful life. But the truth is, as Jesus reminds us, any hope of a meaningful life hangs on our commitment to loving God and neighbor. Now, I'm going to read a quote in a moment from C.S. Lewis from his book, The Weight of Glory. Um, but before I do, I was searching for an image uh, to go along with this slide. I thought, you know, I'd want to find a, an image of a, of a beautiful kind of view. And uh, when I came across this one, which I'll put up on the screen for you now, um, I was just so distracted in my work. Uh, I turned my laptop screen over to Melissa, who was working away uh, at the table beside me. And I said, I want to go to this place and I want to stay there for a very long time. This beautiful picture of like a vacation home by the sea uh, is what came to mind when I read this quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, we are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday by the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And so that picture that I showed, it paints this picture of what we could have if we only stopped settling for so much less. You see, the reason that the teacher's pursuits came up short is that God has created us to know a kind of delight that goes beyond anything we can find in this world. And we shortchange ourselves when we settle for something less. One of the characters, the main character in Fyodor, Fyodor Dostoevsky's novel, Notes from Underground, he kind of scrapes around at the bottom of society. He's really a kind of a seedy character. Um, but at one point he kind of goes into this description of the things that matter to him, the things that bring him pleasure in life. And he says at one point, destroy my desires, wipe out my ideals, show me something better and I will follow you. It's this invitation, it's this challenge. And this is precisely the thing that Jesus came to do, to destroy our desires, to wipe out our ideals, to show us something better and to inspire us to follow him. In John's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. At the very beginning of his public ministry, when he was tempted in the wilderness with the authority and splendor of all the kingdoms of the world, everything that Jesus could desire, no pleasure denied, how did he respond? It is written, he said, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil's claim was that he could give this splendor to anyone that he wants. But the truth that Jesus revealed is that he's not actually giving anything. As Jesus reminds us, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And so often when we are offered the delights of our heart, the pleasures that we want and long for in life, we're not actually receiving something. We're actually having something significant taken away from us. And that's something that we need to keep in mind. Because in many ways, every one of us faces similar temptation in our own search for meaning, to allow the pursuit of pleasure 
to distract us from worshiping God and from serving him only. Jamie Smith writes that Jesus' command to follow him is a command to align our loves and longings with his, to want what God wants, to desire what God desires, to hunger and thirst after God and crave a world where he is all in all. This is our invitation, and it's the only way that we will ever truly discover what is good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. Let us pray together. Lord, I'm grateful for the opportunity that we have to learn from the successes and the failures of people who have come before us. That we can listen to words where someone tried to find meaning and pleasure and came up empty. We can read words where you were tempted with pleasure and the desires of your heart, but were actually able to become out victorious on the other side. God, I pray that you would help us, that you would help us to be able to seek the things that we were created to seek, to make the priority in our lives the things that you created us to prioritize, loving you, loving our neighbor as ourself. God, I pray that you'd be with us as we join together in groups to discuss this morning's theme and as we live out a life of faith in the world around us this week. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So as we do each week, I'm going to invite you to take some time now to join with others in your neighbor's group. It'll be an opportunity for us to get together, to have some conversation around this morning's theme, and to just check in about how things are going in the strange world that we find ourselves living in. Peace to you.